family, how are we doing? Good. It is so good to be with you. Those of you here in Rock Island, welcome. Our family at Bettendorf joining us. Love you guys. So glad you're here. And if you are popping in online, you picked a great weekend to do so. I am so pumped to open the Word of God together as we continue our Game of Life series, looking at the life of Moses, just wondering maybe, maybe we can learn from him some of the mistakes he made so that we can fully live in to what God has, has desired and created us for. Now, before we jump into the Word, there's something you got to know about me. I love to play games. Any game players in the room? Anybody? All right. Well, I love to play games. It doesn't matter if it's card games or board games or mind games. Okay, not mind games. <laughs> but I love to play games. In fact, when my wife and I were like quasi-dating slash engaged, getting ready to be married, we played all kinds of games. We played Uno. Any Uno fans? All right. We played Euchre. Any Euchre fans here? All right. Good. And every once in a while, we would actually make the truck down to the local elementary school there in Battle Creek, Michigan, uh, and we would go shoot some hoops. And we would play the game of pig that would turn into horse, which turned into horses, which turned into horses and chariots, as long as it took for me to finally give up and realize I wasn't going to win the game. All right. And in fact, if you're here today and you're like spiritually unresolved, you're wondering, man, does God exist or not? Let me tell you something. I didn't win a single game for nearly a year and a half of my, my, the first year and a half of our relationship together, and yet next month we'll celebrate 10 years of marriage together. So I got to tell you, and let me, let me tell you something, it wasn't this me being a sweet guy like, oh, I'll let you win, honey. It wasn't any part of that, all right? She'd win in her sweet little way. She'd go, good game, babe. And I'm like, yeah, all right. Yep, that's good. So finally, about a year and a half in, I said, let's arm wrestle. We'll take care of this right now. I won two out of three, and the rest is history. So, <laughs> uh, but we love to play games. In fact, when we got married, we lived in Pennsylvania, and a few months after moving there, we had uh, some friends of ours bring over the game of life. And, and I'm not talking the game of the old school game of life with the little twister. I'm talking like the new and improved twist and turns version. Some of you have seen this. They have an electronic life pod, they call it, that keeps track of all your money, all your points. You just hit a button, and it spins for you. It's brilliant. In fact, they use credit cards uh, for the game, and you can see the Visa stamp right and proud right there, so I have my credit card here. But we played this with that group of friends, and we loved it so much that we went to the store pretty short, short time after that and paid way too much money and bought it ourselves, all right? So love the game of life. And so as we have stepped into this series, it's been exciting to just use that as a framework to engage the Word of God and look at the life of Moses. And now, if you played the game of life, you know that it's obviously pretty important what you spin or what you hit the button and what you get, right? How many steps you can move. But what makes the game of life unique is that along the way, there are a number of decisions you have to make, right? You start the game out. You got to decide, am I going to go to college or am I going to start a career? And then you got to decide, what career am I going to do? Am I going to be a doctor? Or am I going to be something else along the line? And then you get to the point where you buy a house, and so you can pick the, the, the luxurious mansion or the shack or something in between. You guys know what I'm talking about here. But there's these unique moments along the way where the road actually forks, and you can continue to go straight, or you can take a right, or you can continue to you know, go straight, or you can take a left. And it's in those moments are some of my favorite parts of the game. Because what happens is, is I'll make a decision to veer right, and I'll move my little car so many spaces. But then on my next turn, when it comes time for me to spin the thing again, I always mark out my spaces. But then I go back and just go, what could have been if I would have made a different decision? Anybody been there before? Yeah? And you understand what I'm saying. And you do that in the game of life. We do that in other games that we play. But if we're honest, we do that in our lives as well, don't we? 
we make a decision today and then tomorrow we go back and we go, what would have been different if I would have chosen to do something other than what I did? We kind of Monday morning quarterback it or second, second guess ourselves. And last week where we left off in the story of Moses is I think one of those mo- moments for Moses. All right? One of those moments. In fact, if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to go to Exodus chapter 3. That's where we're going to start today. We're going to start in verse 1. But while you turn there or click there, I just want to catch you up on where we're at. All right? So over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the reality that Moses was born into a time, a particularly difficult time for the Israelites. All right? The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And they weren't just slaves. They were treated terribly. But even amongst great persecution and being treated poorly, they continued to grow and expand. And they became so numerous and so large, in fact, that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the ruler of the land, got really intimidated and said, I've got to make a law, declare an edict, that every male child born needs to be killed immediately. And so Moses, you can understand, being born into this time as an Israelite and as a male child wasn't necessarily the ideal time to be born. He's born, but he doesn't get killed. He should have, but his mom and dad were godly men and women. And they made the decision to risk, to hold him back, to hide him as long as they could until they couldn't hide him any longer. And then out of a great moment of great faith and great trust, they made the decision to release him, to put him by the river and to trust God. Now, Pharaoh's daughter comes along and happens to see Moses. And she takes him in as her own and raises him as her own child. So Moses, for the first 40 years of his life, is educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He's educated and and becomes powerful in speech and in deed. But it's somewhere in those 40 years that Moses begins to have a heartbeat and a passion and a desire to become the deliverer of his people, Israel. You see, God had placed this desire and this heartbeat in Moses that consumed him. He was going to be the deliverer of his people, the deliverer of the, of the Israelites. And so 40 years into his life, he comes to a place at 40 when he can take it no longer. He's watching one of his Egyptians mistreat and ultimately borderline kill an Israelite. And he decides, today's the day. I can take it no longer. He looks to his left. He looks to his right. And he makes the decision to jump in and to kill the Egyptian. You see, in that moment, Moses thought that the Israelites would rally around him, that they would see that he was their deliverer, that he was the one that God had raised up. But the Israelites didn't do that. And in fact, as we left off last week in verse 15 of chapter 2, Moses is sitting by a well because he had to run for his life and flee for his life because Pharaoh had found out and was going to kill him. And it's at that well that I think Moses had one of these moments where he began to ask the question, what if I would have done something differently? What if I wouldn't have made that decision? What if I wouldn't have failed I'm sure the vision that, was, that he had and that burden and that desire to have significant impact on the Israelites was running through his head. And I am sure that he thought there's no way that that dream can ever be realized. So there he is at the well in verse 15. Verse 16, he interacts with a group of women that come, daughters of a priest that are coming to, to water their flocks. And Moses runs off some pesky shepherds. All right, He ends up serving those women, watering their flocks. And one thing leads, leads to another. And he is invited into those, those women, their father's home. He's given one of those women as his bride, and he has two children. And so that's where we pick up today in chapter 3, verse 1. If you've missed any of that, I encourage you to go to heritageqc.com, click on the media tab, and you can find the messages there. But let's jump in today in chapter 3, verse 1. 
He says, now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So we pick up 40 years later, for 40 years, Moses has been a shepherd, a lowly, obscure shepherd, no longer in the palace, no longer in a place of prominence, no longer surrounded by wealth, no longer eating the, the, the best of the best. He is now a lowly shepherd. And for 40 years, he walks around the, the wilderness. 40 years, he walks around the desert with those sheep. No doubt replaying that decision in his mind. No doubt the dreams and the desires and that, that vision to have impact and to set the Israelites free running through his mind, all the while believing there's no way. There's no way. I've blown my chance. I've failed. And my guess is today, whether you're in Bettendorf or you're here in Rock Island, is that there was once a dream in your life something that God placed deep within you, something that woke you up in the morning, something that, that was your driving force, that if I can just be this, God's created this for me. This is the dream of what my life could be and should be. But along the way, maybe like Moses, you made a decision. Something happened in a moment of weakness, you failed. And all of a sudden, that dream that you had went away. Maybe yours wasn't premeditated murder like Moses. Maybe yours was a marriage that failed. Maybe it was something that happened in a moment of weakness, a decision that you never thought you'd make. Maybe it's something that would show up on a criminal background check if it was run. Maybe you went too far in a relationship outside of your marriage, or maybe there's a secret sin, or there, there's an addiction, or something that you just can't break free from, and you find yourself in a space like Moses saying, because of what happened, because of my failure, there's no way that I can have an impact. Maybe you've heard the same lies that I'm sure Moses heard, that because of that mistake back 40 years ago, that all you're ever going to be is a, is a shepherd. All you're ever going to be is to this lowly, obscure, non-significant man or woman in your case. But the good news today, and what we're going to see as we engage this passage of Scripture, is the reality that our past doesn't have to define us. And the one truth I really want us to grasp today, because if we can get this, it can be a game changer for some of us in the room who have given up on our dreams, who have given up on our hopes, who have given up on the God desire within us to have an impact. And that truth is simply this. Past failure doesn't prevent future impact. Past failure doesn't prevent future impact. Listen, Moses failed, guys. He failed miserably. In that moment, he took it into his own hands. He said, rather than to be dependent on my God, I'm going to be independent. I'm going to take care of this right now. And he failed. And he was paying the price for that. And I know Romans 3 says that all of us have failed. Every single one of us. But it's because of the grace of our God through Jesus that we can stand here today and confidently declare that our past failure doesn't prevent future impact. And as we look at Moses as an interact, his interaction today, there's a few things that were important for Moses to understand and that are really important for us to understand as we seek to be the people who live into what God has created for us. So let's check this out. Go to verse 2. It says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. So Moses was walking around the desert. He looks over. He sees this bush that's on fire. All right. What would have been unique about that is that if there was a fire in the desert at that time, it'd be something that you would expect like in the, the, the forest fires in California that would have spread like wildfire. 
right? But the fact that there was just one bush was particularly interesting to Moses. As well as as he looked around the desert, he didn't see anyone that could have been the one who started that fire. So he was intrigued. And he went over to check it out. Check out what happens in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, probably confused, like, here I am. Here I am. What's going on here? Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now we can read that story and we can go, that's a cool story, right? We get this, this image in our mind of, of Moses interacting and, and kind of sitting there going, what's going on? And God speaking to him through the bush. And, and the rest of what we read today through, through chapter, the beginning of chapter 4, we can get that picture that it's just him standing there and interacting. But if we read it that way, it robs this text of the sacredness of it. You see, what happened is Moses was, look, he saw the bush. He walked over to it. Even when God said, Moses, Moses, Moses didn't know who it was. But in the moment, did you catch it when he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Something changed in Moses. He took off his shoes. Sorry, front row. <laughs> he took off his shoes. And in the presence of a holy God, his only response was to simply bow in reverence and awe to a holy God. And not only did he bow, he literally couldn't look at him. He said he hid his face. He was afraid of him. In the presence of a holy God, when he recognized that, Moses was utterly undone. And all he could do was bow in awe and reverence of a holy God. Moses knew he had failed. Moses knew he had blown it. And in the presence of a holy, perfect, almighty God, the one whose scripture says placed the heavens in their place and laid the foundations of the throne, all Moses could do was hide his face in awe and in reverence. Listen, our past failure doesn't prevent us from future impact. But here's what we see in the life of Moses. In this moment, as he bows and as he hides his face, is the reality that future impact requires acknowledging God's holiness. Future impact requires acknowledging God's holiness. Now, holiness is a theological term. With the, at the heart of it is the word holy. Holy means set apart. It means sacred. It means there's nothing like him. He, he is completely and utterly set apart. And so in that moment, when Moses realizes that it's God, he has no response other than to acknowledge his holiness, to hide his face in reverence, in awe, in a fear of a holy God. You know, as I read passages in the scriptures, just like this one and others where men and women encounter the presence of God, I am always challenged. You know, think of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He says, I saw him high and lifted up. And he was seated in the throne, and, and he talks about how his robe filled the entire temple. 
He, he explains these angelic beings that he sees and then even tells us what they say. Check out verse 3 of Isaiah 6. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Set apart, set apart, set apart. Sacred, sacred, sacred. There's none like him. There's none like him. There's none like him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. But look at Isaiah's response. He says, woe to me. Woe to me. I am ruined. In the presence of this holy God, I am ruined. I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of failure. I've messed up. I've not only have I messed up, I come from a, a people of unclean lips, yet I've seen the glory of God. Saul, you guys remember Saul? Saul was this guy who was zealous. He loved God, and he was going to go out and persecute every Christian. He was going to kill them all. But there was a moment in Acts chapter 9 where Paul is on, Saul is on his way to kill and imprison more Christians, and all of a sudden, a light shines from heaven. And it says that Paul, in response to God's holiness, in response to his presence, the only response he could in that moment do is to fall on his face. See, future impact requires acknowledging God's holiness. David, the man who said they had a heart after God's own heart, the man who failed big, we know that, failed big, had committed adultery with a married woman and then went on to have her husband killed, became the accessory to murder. David understood this. He understood that past failure didn't prevent future impact. And this is what David writes in Psalm 96 about God's holiness, and he implores us and pleads with us to do this. Check out verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Future impact requires acknowledging God's holiness. And as we read accounts of men and women, I encourage you, engage scripture, read more. You're going to see that they will stop and acknowledge his holiness. In fact, today, let me ask you, as you entered this space in Rock Island or you entered Bettendorf or you jumped in online, did you come expecting to encounter the Holy One of God? You see, Scripture says where two or three gather in his name, he is there with us. How many of you know we gathered in the name of Jesus and we believe that he's here with us? So as you gathered in this place today, did you expect to encounter the Holy One of God? As we sang the songs, the great I am, and we sang the song, the lion of Judah, the, the lamb that was slain, was your response similar to that of Moses or of Isaiah or of Paul or of David? See, past failure doesn't prevent future impact, but future impact requires that we acknowledge his holiness. And Moses got that. And because Moses got that, we can continue to read here in Exodus 3, verse 7. Check this out. It said, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. 
So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into the good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. When Moses heard this, he would have been thrilled, all right? My translation of what took place in Moses was, woohoo! Because Moses, deep within his heart, he hadn't forgot the Israelite people. He loved them. He longed for them to be set free. They were his people. And to hear the fact that God was hearing their cries and that God was coming to rescue them, he would have been stoked. Until, verse 10, check this out. So now go. I am sending you, I'm sending Moses to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Surely God had made a mistake. (laughs) Didn't God remember when Moses tried that before? Did it on his own, messed up, he failed, he fell, fell flat on his face, he ran for his life. Surely God wasn't calling Moses again. But he was. Our God doesn't make mistakes. But what God is getting ready to teach Moses, and as we look on in this passage, he's getting ready to communicate to you and I here today is that future impact requires depending on his presence rather than making excuses. Depending on his presence rather than making excuses. Watch how Moses responds in verse 11. This is what he says. Who am I, God? Who am I that I should be the one to go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who am I, God? I I know I messed up. I know I failed. Surely you know every little detail, the way I failed in that moment and every other way. Who am I, God, to be the one that you send? And listen to what God says. I will be with you. I will be with you. Moses steps up and he says, well, here's the reason I can't go, right? He's saying, this is all the doubts that he has. Who am I? In fact, this is the first of five different moments that Moses articulates doubt or really excuses on why he can't be the one to go. But God says, I will be with you. Depend on my presence. So after Moses says, who am I to go? He then follows up with the next excuse. Well, 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 I don't know your name. What if I go and they ask me your name? I can't answer that, so I can't go for you, God. And you know what God does? God says, tell them I am who I am. He reveals who he is, his name. I am who I am. Revealing his character as a faithful, dependable, holy God who can be trusted, who desires to be trusted. He says, go to the people and tell them I am sent you. And this is the name that they will call me for all generations. So Moses goes to another excuse. Well, that one didn't work. (laughs) He says, what if I go and they don't listen to me? What, what, What if they don't believe me, God? And God says, what's that in your hand, Moses? And he goes, well, it's a staff. I'm a shepherd. And God says, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. It turns into a snake. And Moses, rightfully so, hits the road. All right? (laughs) Get away from the snake. So God encourages to come back. Trust me, trust me. Okay, so Moses comes. God says, grab it by the tail. He grabs it by the tail. It turns into a staff. Then God says, go ahead, put your hand in your, in your cloak, Moses. 
He puts it in, he pulls it out. It's white as snow. He's got leprosy, a skin disease. And he says, go ahead, Moses, put it back in your cloak and see what happens. And he sticks it in, he pulls it out. His hand is just like it was before he did it the first time. It's back to flesh, healthy. And God says, when you go to them, show them these signs. And if they don't believe you, then go to the Nile River, get a cup full of water, pour it on the ground, and it'll be like blood on the ground. And he says, show them these signs and they will believe that I, I am, have sent you. So Moses goes to another excuse, right? And this is what he says in verse 10 of chapter 4. This is the third excuse. He says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, whether that was a speech impediment or he's just not quick on his feet, he kind of has to think before he speaks, we don't know. But at the end of the day, he says, I'm slow of speech, and because I can't talk confidently, I can't go for you. And this is what God says to him. He says, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what you are to say. I will go with you. Depend on my presence. Moses goes on to make another excuse. Finally, he just says, God, please send anyone else. Send somebody else. I can't do it. And God gets a little upset with Moses, and, but then eventually agrees to send Moses' brother Aaron, who he hadn't seen in 40 years, to go with him. You see, future impact requires that we depend on his presence rather than making excuses. And today I wonder, what is the excuse or the excuses that you are using for reasons that you can't go and chase after the thing God's created you for? What are the excuses? Maybe it's like Moses and you're saying, uh, I, I don't know if they'll listen to me or I'm not confident enough and I, I can't talk clearly or I don't know enough or God, I don't know your name and, and what if they don't listen? What, uh, and God is saying to you today, I will go with you. Depend on my presence. You see, our past failures don't prevent us from future impact. But future impact requires that we acknowledge his holiness and depend on his presence. I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, the one who calls you, the one who put that dream, that desire, that, that, that innate desire to have impact, to influence others, to make a difference, to be part of something bigger than yourself, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Who will do it? He will. The great I am. He will do it. Depend on his presence rather than making excuses. And finally, future impact requires all-in commitment. All-in commitment. So finally, Moses acknowledges God's holiness. He lists his excuses off to God. God shows him and makes very clear that I will go with you. And Moses makes the decision to go, okay, I'll make the choice to depend on your presence. All right, I'm going to put my excuses aside. He goes back home. He gets all of his family all gathered up, ready to roll. He gets permission from his father-in-law right, to go. And he eventually is making his way to Egypt. And then the craziest, most bizarre thing takes place. Look at chapter 4, verse 24. It says, At the lodging place on the way, on the way to Egypt, doing what God had asked him to do, 
the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah, his wife, took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. Now do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor right now and just say, that was awkward. Go ahead. (laughs) That was awkward. All right, so now turn to your other neighbor, the one you didn't choose before, and say, did he really just read that? Go ahead. (laughs) You see, on the surface, this is absurd, isn't it? This is absurd. I mean, he, he packed up his whole family. He was, he was going to where God had asked him to go. On the surface, it seems like he's all in, like he's going for it. But what we don't see is that Moses, rather than displaying an all-in commitment, is actually displaying a half-hearted commitment. You see, back in Genesis chapter 17, when Abraham who Moses was from his lineage, Abraham makes a covenant with God. God tells Moses, here's my part. I'm going to make you into, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to lead you into this great land. That's a cool promise God made Abraham. But Abraham's part of the covenant, the part of the agreement was that he and all future generations would circumcise every male offspring, whether they were his or whether they were slaves. And in this moment, we read, that Moses hadn't circumcised his son. He wasn't all in. Although on the surface, it seemed like he was, he was honoring God. He was taking the steps that were necessary. He was doing everything God had asked. There was one thing back that nobody else would have known about that Moses wasn't all in on. And his half-hearted commitment almost cost him his life. Now, for some of us in the room, There's areas in our life where we're honoring God and God is cheering us on and he is pleased. But there's these little small areas, some small, some not so small, that we're not honoring him. And unlike Moses, Moses, it almost cost him his life. But for you and I, that dream, that desire for impact, that, that, that innate wiring within us to be part of something bigger than ourselves, that half-hearted commitment might cost us that. In fact, last week, Pastor Sean said that when somebody chooses independence, everyone loses. And in this moment with Moses, the nation of Israel almost lost. But praise God, his wife responded quickly, did the deed, as awkward as it may be, all right? But today, let me ask you, are you all in? Are you all in? As you look and stand before a holy God today, can you say, I'm all in? Every area of my life, or is there somewhere that you're not all in yet? My ask to you would be, let this weekend be the weekend where you can say, God, I'm all in. I'm pushing the chips to the center. I'm going all in. No holding back anymore in the areas that are public and the areas that are private because future impact requires all in commitment. The God that we gather to worship today, he sees everything in your life. He knows the areas where you're not all in. I want you to know it breaks his heart. But I also want you to know that he promises to be with you and go with you to experience victory and get you to a place that you can be all in. In fact, look at 2 Chronicles chapter 28. It says, acknowledge the God of your father. Acknowledge his holiness and serve him. 
Depend on his presence. Don't make excuses. Jump in and serve him with wholehearted devotion, all in commitment and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. May this weekend be a weekend where you can say, I'm acknowledging his holiness. I'm taking time to depend and choose to depend on his presence. And I'm pushing all the chips in the center, all in. I'm all in, God. And we see that Moses eventually gets to that point. And so as we close our time together, let's look at the end of this passage um, that we're going to look at today in Exodus chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. They went to Egypt. They arrived and they brought all the elders together. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Moses, with his brother in tow, has acknowledged God's holiness. He's decided to depend on his presence. He's pushed all the chips in. He's all in. And now they're poised for the impact that God had created him for. You see, our past failure doesn't prevent future impact, but our future impact requires acknowledging God's holiness, depending on his presence rather than making excuses, and requires an all-in commitment. So what? So what? What, like, what does this mean for me today? All right? How do I live this out? And as you look at your outline today, you're going to notice that it's blank. And let me tell you, it's not because there's nothing to, to, to live out, Okay. But it's blank today because I believe that the same God that interacted with Moses in the bush that day, the same God that interacted with Isaiah, the same God who interacted with Paul, the same guy who interacted with David and countless others in Scripture is the same God that is speaking to us today. And I believe as we've had this conversation and as we've looked at this, that the Holy Spirit has clearly given you a so what for you today. And my ask for you is simply in these next few moments to take the lines that we put there and just simply write the one thing the one thing that God is asking of you today. Maybe today you had this dream and this passion, this something that God had placed in you, and somewhere along the lines, you made a mistake, you failed, and you've given up on that dream. And maybe today is the day where you say, I'm getting back in the game. Today's the day where you embrace the truth that past failure doesn't have to prevent future impact. Maybe that's your so what today. Maybe you're in a place today where you haven't acknowledged the holiness of God. Maybe ever, or maybe not in a while. Maybe you've gone through the motions. You've come to church. You've prayed. You've said the right things. you prayed the right prayers. you sang the song. You checked the box, but you haven't taken a moment just simply to acknowledge his holiness. Maybe today as we go to a moment of prayer, rather than just praying, maybe you take a moment to envision the one who's on the throne the creator of the ends of the earth, the everlasting God. And maybe in this moment today, like Moses and like others in scripture, you just take a moment to acknowledge his holiness. Maybe as we step into a moment of worship and we, we sing, here's my heart, Lord. And we sing about the great I am. Maybe for you, it's taking a posture like Isaiah and a posture like Moses. And you put your hands in the air, you kneel down or whatever it is for you. And you just say, God, today I'm acknowledging your holiness. Maybe you're in a place today. We need to acknowledge this holiness by stepping into relationship with this great I am, this great God. Here's one of the things that I think makes our God holy on top of everything else. 
is that this holy, righteous, perfect, set-apart, sacred God who sees our failure sent his own son out of heaven to pay the price for our failure so that we can have a relationship with him. And maybe this weekend, your so what moment is to turn over your teaching outline and to pray that prayer on the top and to say, I'm stepping into relationship with Jesus. I know I failed, but God, you have paid the price and today I'm placing my trust and my faith in you. Maybe your so what moment is to step into new life, into relationship with this creator, this holy God. Or maybe your so what today is to put aside all the excuses that you've given to no longer say I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm too dirty or I'm not smart enough or I don't have the right skills. Maybe today's the day you put all those excuses aside and say, God, I'm choosing to depend on your presence. You will be with me. Maybe today the Holy Spirit has stirred within you that that one area of your life where you're not all in, you're not all in and committed. Maybe today is the day. This weekend's the weekend where you say, God, I'm all in. It could be an area of scripture that God speaks clearly to and it's an area of sin in your life. And maybe today's the day you say, God, I'm gonna pursue and trust your presence. I'm gonna go all in and experience victory in this area. It could be a sin in your life. It could be that maybe out of last week in that so what moment where we asked, what is the area maybe God is asking you to risk or, or to release or to respond? Maybe the Holy Spirit spoke clearly to you and you haven't taken that step today. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's to pray more frequently and to pray and to seek his face. Maybe it's to give. Maybe it's to worship. I don't know what it is, but at that area that is holding you back from being all in, maybe your so what moment today is to say, I'm going all in. You see, our past failure, this is the good news. Our past failure doesn't prevent us from future impact. But future impact requires, not optional, acknowledging his holiness, depending on his presence. And it requires an all-in commitment. So let's take a moment to pray. And I'll ask the Holy Spirit to make that clear to each and every one of us today. God, thank you for the reality that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are holy, God. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. So God, today I pray, I thank you for the promise that our failures, and man, we have them, Lord, you know that. They don't prevent us from future impact. And so God, today, if we're in a place where we've given up on the dream, the thing that you've created us for, bring us back into the game. God, if we have not acknowledged your holiness in these moments as we pray, as we step back into worship through song, may our posture reflect that of all the men and women in scripture that acknowledge your holiness. Lord, today, we've got excuses that have mounted. Would you you make them clear so we can push them aside and depend on your presence today? God, if there's something holding us back from all-in commitment, today is the day, Lord, that we want to go all-in because we want to live out what you've created us for, for your glory and your glory alone. You are a good God. You are holy, God, and we worship you this weekend. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.